0: Hello, and welcome to the Aug Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Nat Gertler, the Aug Blogger, the guy with well over a thousand Peanuts books and constantly getting more. I had this big box sitting there in my entryway for weeks, taunting me. I knew what was in it, and I knew that when I opened it, I would have to start reviewing it. So here we are, the third box set in the Peanuts Every Sunday series, containing volume three five and six of the series reprinting every peanut sunday strip from 1971 through 1980 large and in full color now the the peanuts every sunday series is a curious thing it is a showpiece without being a highlights reel there have been other books that pick and choose the best peanut sundays and present them in a large fashion making them the thing to have on your coffee table but this series is 10 huge volumes you can't put them all on your coffee table You need a house filled with coffee tables just to accomplish that, and really, how much coffee do you drink anyway? A lot, maybe, but not ten tables worth. And even if you decided, really, the best Sunday strips were just in the mid-1950s to the mid-1960s, you can't just go and buy Volumes 2 and 3 of the series, because they have wisely, insidiously, actually labeled them Volumes 2 and 3. It's not like the complete peanut series where each volume was just marked with the date. No, these have the volume number marked prominently at the top of the spine. And you know if you have just numbers 2 and 3 on your bookshelf, everyone's going to look at you funny. No, if you have numbers 2 and 3, you have to get number 1 as well. And once you have 1, 2, 3, well, a pattern emerges. It's a set. You will feel the need to complete it. You can't complete it yet, though. There are still four more of these annually released volumes to go. Twenty years of the strip yet to be covered. This set is a book a year for ten years, which is a long-term commitment for those who started buying from the very beginning. But then, it's also a big financial commitment, so it's kind of nice to be paying in installments. These aren't cheap books. Well worth it, but not cheap. They go for 50 bucks a pop, or 85 for the payer if you wait up until the box set of two come out. Save 15%, plus you get the box, or slipcase if you prefer their terminology. And the slipcase is nice. Heck, all the design work on these are nice. Whereas the Complete Peanuts had a design that suggested that these were works to be taken seriously, the Peanuts Every Sunday design is much more about having fun. The sides of the box, just like the covers of the book, blow up four or five panels from a Sunday strip in a way where those panels tell a story. At one level, that's kind of odd. You're reducing a Sunday strip to the length of a daily, but it works. The result is fun, and it lets you know that there are fun comics inside. And speaking of inside, even the inside of the box isn't nicely done. It's got the Charlie Brown zigzag in there. One rarely needs to look inside of a box of a box set of books. But if you do, there's a small reward. The first book in the slipcase starts off with an introduction by Alexander Thoreau, novelist, poet, and, well, intellectual, and wielding that last hat. Sure, the first paragraph is about all the big topics in life that Schultz covered so brilliantly and naturally in his strip. But the second paragraph starts, The strip, to my mind, fulfills the sense of Aristotle's word ethic. And then, in case you're not clear on what word he's referring to, in parentheses he has spelled the word in Greek. The strip to my mind fulfills the sense of Aristotle's word "ethic," ethic, because the character of the patient and resourceful quote, hero, unquote, parentheses, and his ilk, end parentheses, is displayed in action guided by reason. By the first sentence of the next paragraph, he's telling us what Hemingway had to say about the works of Mark Twain. Now, don't get me wrong; this is all well written, although Thoreau seems to be one of those people who will never use three words when seven will do. And if he's one of the Crane boys, he's Fraser Crane, not Niles Crane. He's at least making references to things you're likely to understand or have heard of. But it's not Martin Crane. It's not someone just telling you, hey, here's some comic strips, enjoy them. And now I check myself on even that, having had to do some research to figure out what he meant when he referred to Peanuts having attic simplicity. That's Attic with a capital A, he's referring to the area around Athens, Greece, in its ancient form, and some of the famed orators who came from there, who are known for having focus on simplicity rather than on pretension. Given the way Thoreau writes, this does not seem to be a compliment. But there is much in this introduction which uses cheery words, but does not seem to be praiseful of the Strip, or particularly of Schultz himself. The end effect of it is that this introduction comes across as a big pile of broccoli that is put before you, before you are served your pudding. But the good news is that it, it's a book. If you're not in the mood for it, you can skip right over it and get to the far larger pile of pudding that awaits you. Now, interestingly, Volume 6 has no introduction, the first volume of the series to be so denuded. I'm not sure that that's unwise, but then I have no idea how much being able to listen an to introduction by someone like Thoreau adds to a project financially. The initial solicitation for volume 7 lists no introduction writer either, but then checking back, the earlier volumes didn't list their introduction writers in the solicitations, so that's not really a sign one way or the other about whether they just skipped the introduction for this one volume or intending to do away with them for the rest of the run. But once we get past the introduction, we're into the meat of the book, which is, as I said, the pudding which means that I'm either really badly mixing my metaphors, or we're talking about some sort of meat-based pudding. Now, there are things called puddings that are meat-based, black pudding, blood pudding, but those are actually sausages, not puddings. Pork is not a pudding-pop flavor, although that would make a great good tongue twister. Pork pudding-pop, pork pudding-pop, pork pudding-pop. But I'm digressing. The primary content of the book is the Sunday strips, printed in a nice large size not as large as the big old Sunday newspaper sections, but bigger than they'd appear today. And while they've been recolored, the goal wasn't to replace the original coloring, but simply to capture that coloring for modern printing technology. There are no attempts to do modern trickery, no gradients filling the sky. This is the coloring the way that you remember it. And all this effort, all this size and recoloring is going into work that isn't very detailed, not that delicate. The backgrounds are sparse, As I compose this podcast, I'm looking at the January 24th, 1971 strip, wherein Sally is delivering a report on population control. Fourteen panels, and there's not a single background, just Sally and her shadow, a piece of paper, in three panels a desk, and in one panel a school locker. But the size allows you to not just be looking at the work, but to be brought into it, to have its world, simple as it is, fill your vision. It creates an odd sort of grandeur, makes the characters more important than its smaller size, a bit less of just having them as a standard iconography we've all come to understand. At that scale, we see the import of flitting butterflies, the fullness of little scribbled clouds, the joy of the flowers. Going through Volume 5, the thing that I find giving me the most joy in this period are the strips where Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty are having long conversations, often while sitting against the tree. Even when they're talking past each other, even when Peppermint Patty is looking for a romance that isn't there, they're connecting at a very human level. I've probably said this at some point on this podcast before, but as I see it, at any given point in Peanuts history, there is one character where Schultz seemed to place his biggest creative spark. At the beginning, it was Charlie Brown. Then for a little while, it was Linus. Then later in the 1950s through most of the 1960s, it was Snoopy. In the 1980s, it was Spike, and by the late 1990s, it was rerun. But here, in the 1970s, it was definitely Peppermint Patty, the latchkey kid who is feeling a lack of affection in her life and is desperate to find someone to fill it. She needs to be loved, even if it's just by Charlie Brown. Of course, she does not get that which she most desires. That's what makes her a Peanuts character. Well, there's one other thing that may make someone a Peanuts character. They've kept count of how many times they've seen Citizen Kane, In this one volume, across three different strips, Joe Cool says he's seen it 23 times, Sally says she's watching it for the 10th time, Lucy says she's seen it about 10 times, while Linus says he's seeing it for the first time, but not the last. In 1990, he would mention having seen it again. These would not be the last times that Peanuts characters gave us their cane count. In 1995, Rerun, despite his name, says that he's watching it for the first time. Going through these books you find yourself wrapping quickly through the holidays, as fixed on Sunday holidays like Easter, Mother's Day, and Father's Day are harked on again and again. And as the books are complete, they also help dispel the myth that Peanuts was always timeless. There were for a long time commentators who said that Schultz avoided making references to current events, when the truth was that the editors of the book collections simply left those strips out. When I reached the November 1975 strip, where there was one monster film called Feet, and another one called... Elbows. I was trying to remember what was going on in monster movies at that time that would do that. It wasn't until I got to another strip the following month, when where Snoopy is putting on a puppet show called Teeth that included a giant shark puppet, that I realized that, of course, it was all in reference to Jaws, which had been released in theaters that summer. But yes, we get references to Elton John, which I guessed proved more timeless than it probably looked in 1975 and to Bobby Riggs and his victory at the first Battle of the Sexes match, in which he defeated Margaret Court. And moving on to the second volume in the set, Volume 6, which covers the years from 1976 through 1980. That's right, even though the box set is called the, the 70s, it includes 1980. That's because although Peanuts started in 1950, it was only six days a week then, not getting a Sunday strip until 1952. So there's more even distribution of the strips if the decade covered ends with 1960, 1970, 1980, etc., Besides, you wouldn't want a whole other volume just for the seven Sunday strips they published in the 2000s, would you? Some of the repeating tropes we see in this volume are the cat next door cutting designs in Snoopy's doghouse, and Snoopy's body parts discussing their individual situations while he jogs. There's plenty of outings for the Beagle Scouts and a fair amount of Eudora. And then there's one strip where Marcy is critiquing Peppermint Patty's handwriting, which is not up to snuff. Marcy closes out her criticism by saying... Don't worry about it, sir. The only things people write anymore are love letters and thank you notes. So if you think that's a new situation, no, Schultz was noting it in 1978. We also get into Peppermint Patty's feelings for Chuck. Marcy asks her flat out if she loves him, and she mumbles something conflicted. This fits in perfectly well with the theory that Peppermint Patty does not love him, that she is merely seeking to be loved and sees Charlie Brown as weak enough to be willing to provide love to someone as unattractive as she sadly believes herself to be. Marcy, however, has no such compulsion. She proudly announces her love for Chuck. This isn't the box set that I'd pick up if I had to get just one. The set of the 1960s material makes better use of the format overall. But it is a lovely presentation of the strips that are here. If you're interested in owning these or any of the other Peanuts Every Sunday volumes... I'll put sales links to them up on the blog entry for this episode. Yes, you can find them if you go to Amazon and search for them yourself, but when you order through the blog links, you don't pay any more, and a cut of your purchase goes to support the blog and podcast. Besides, if you just went to Amazon and searched for Peanuts Every Sunday, you might think that you've found a bargain when you've really found a disappointment. You see, Fantagraphics borrowed the name Peanuts Every Sunday from an earlier collection, a paperback that came out in 1961 as part of the Holt line of strip reprints. Which was fine. They waited more than half a century. The Holt book was long out of print. But then in 2015, Titan Books reprinted the Holt book, keeping the title. So while Fantagraphics was trying to promote $50 hardcovers, Titan had a $7 book of the same name uh, available. And it's still available. And hey, speaking of things to buy, as you may recall with my publisher head on, I spent much of last year reprinting Catholic cartoon books of the mid-20th century. But I wanted people to realize that I had a wider range than that. So my most recent reprint? A book of Episcopal cartoons of the mid-20th century. Now back in the 1950s, cartoonist W. Bolt Gibson and the Reverend Henry Charlton Beck teamed up to create a series of cartoon booklets, gags about priests and parishioners and the whole church effort. So I've collected all the cartoons from the first three of these booklets into a single volume, over 170 cartoons in a nice thick paperback collection called Lots of Fun in Church. It lists for $14.99 and is available for immediate order from Amazon. But you don't have to buy anything to support the the podcast. You're supporting it just by listening to it. You're letting the podcast fulfill its goal. And you can support it more by telling people who might like it about it. And if there's anything I'm, I'm doing wrong, things you want me to do better, or things you think I'm doing well, how about dropping me a line at questions at aug.com. That's questions at a-a-u-g-h dot com. And as long as I'm spelling things out, stop by the blog at b-l-o-g dot a-a-u-g-h dot com. And until next time, may your life be more pudding than broccoli. May every day be off. Full Color Sunday. And may all your griefs be good ones.